Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back, folks. This is uh, The Roger Stone Show here on 77 WABC. Now would be an ideal time for you to go to the App Store and get the 77 WABC radio app downloaded to your phone so you don't miss any of the great interviews like the one we're about to have. I'm very pleased and honored today to have Pastor Jonathan Shuttlesworth. Uh, He is uh, Evangelist and Pastor of the Revival Today Church uh, in both Pittsburgh and Fort Worth. Uh, I was honored to be his guest several days ago, and I invited him because, well, he is a man who is committed to the truth, not just his truth, but the broader truth. Uh, he is a pastor who believes deeply that it is the role, indeed the duty, and the responsibility of those who believe in our Lord to get into the public arena on matters of important public policy, uh, and for that I admire him very much. Uh, pastor Shuttlesworth, thank you so much for joining us on The Roger Stone Show. Thanks for having me on, Roger, and I'm glad, unlike with me, that we're on radio, because I'm sure you're wearing a Ralph Lauren purple label suit, and I look like I just got kicked out of a methadone clinic, but nobody can see me right now. Uh, The truth is I'm wearing a Roger Stone did nothing wrong uh, (laughs) t-shirt and and a pair of jeans. Uh, All right, good. uh, Sounds uh, good. We're both on radio. But the good news, I've got a face for radio, so it works out very well. (laughs) Thanks Uh, for having me on. Uh, Pastor Shuttlesworth, uh, you recently visited the uh, the border in El Paso. You had a uh, an excellent posting, which is actually which is actually pinned uh, on your X, formerly known as Twitter profile. By the way, folks, I strongly urge you to go to JD Shuttlesworth uh, on X so you can follow his great programming. He does a, a terrific news program, also active on radio. But uh, you specifically say, you ask this, I guess, semi-rhetorical question, although it's a real question. How do you get from a Middle Eastern terror cell to the Mexican border? Now, we know from official documents that the, uh, that the Border Patrol folks uh, have detained, uh, I think it was 178 known terrorist list suspects, which of course raises the question of how many have entered into the country that they didn't detain. Uh, talk, Talk to us about your observations, what you saw in El Paso, what you see happening at our border. 
Well, that that was my reason for going down to see the border. I, I wanted to know. I know people are coming up from Venezuela right now in number, and that's a problem with, with the violent gangs. But the thing that concerned me is, like you said, how do you, if you look on a map, there's no way to get from Yemen to Kansas City without – you can't fly there, and uh, your passport would get rejected, and you can't even fly to Mexico. So you'd have to sail on a, com- on a cargo ship as an unofficial passenger. And the waters you would have to go through are controlled by Somali oil pirates and, and Yemeni terrorist cells. So I asked the um, – I won't say which agencies because they're good guys, the guys I talked to, and they weren't allowed to officially comment. But I asked them that. I said, how do you get from Yemen to, to the Mexican border? And then I said, the, if the cartels – are in charge of trucking people across into Texas and Arizona, then would it be safe to assume that the cartels are paying the fee to sail the, the terror cells over and thus have shaken hands with, with our jihadist terrorist enemies? They said that would be safe to assume. So then I said, all right, well, that gets you to the Mexican border. I said, now, I said, I'm not accusing you, but o- over your heads, I said, if the cartels control the border and the crossing, would it all? You can't tell me that our federal government, that has the ability and has recorded all my text messages and phone calls, doesn't know that those people are coming across. I said, so much like with the drug trafficking, is it safe to assume that there's people high up in federal government that have said to themselves, rather than stop this, why not take a cut of the hundred billion dollars a year plus? Uh, to, to our agencies or personally and, and oversee it. I said, because for me, that's the only way you could explain why there was such a violent reaction by the government to sue Texas when they went to close the border. Why would you care? Why for the first time would you care about the border to keep it open unless it was going to take money out of your pocket? And obviously if you're doing deals with the cartels, you know, there's going to be more of a problem than just your revenue stream drying up if you don't hold up your end of the deal. And they all smiled and said, we're not allowed to comment because we're an apolitical organization, but I'll just say that's a very interesting observation that you've made. So, I, I mean, that, that to me, that to me, even though I'm a pastor and I am pro-life, that to me makes me a single-issue voter even higher than abortion. I mean, President Trump got Roe versus Wade overturned. So that's, that's in the rearview mirror. That's kicked back to the states. To me... That border, we're heading up on Ramadan. I pray we make it through the month without there being any kind of problem. But if there is a problem, you can't just pretend it happened and what a shame and keep Boston in prayer, keep Chicago in prayer. You can't do that because you facilitated uh, uh, our enemies infiltrating our country. And, and again, Venezuelan street gangs are one thing. You start taking jihadist terror cells, they're not looking to beat a girl to death at a college as horrible as that is. They're looking to do major 9-11 type damage and you're allowing them to come into the country for profit. Yeah, you really summed this up extremely well when you said, uh, quoting you, uh, either the United States military and the government is unable to secure our southern border, which would mean that foreign terror cells have already overrun our country, possess control of United States ports of entry and thus control the United States, or, you wrote, the United States military and government is unwilling to secure the southern border because they, the CIA, the FBI, other high-ranking government officials, 
decided to enjoy a share of revenue involved in this operation rather than fulfill their sworn duty as elected officials to uphold the Constitution and protect the United States of America. This this makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Uh, I long ago determined that these are not misguided policies by well-meaning liberals who are just naive about uh, the fact that our country is being flooded uh, by illegal migrants. That is in turn causing a, a horrific spike in crime. Uh, it is causing uh, a fentanyl crisis. Uh, it is uh, it is bankrupting cities and counties and states, which in many cases are actually required by law to provide social services for these illegals, which requires them to cut services for American citizens and taxpayers. Uh, to pretend that this issue is going to go away or that President Joe Biden in his upcoming uh, State of the Union address can somehow wave a magic wand and make this go away, that seems uh, entirely unrealistic to me. Yeah, I mean, you, you sleep better at night if you're under the assumption that we have a bunch of stupid people in government that don't know what they're doing. But then when you flip the switch and realize that, yeah, there are stupid people in government, but there are, there's also very intelligent people that know exactly what they're doing. And, and, and like we talked about when we were together, there's people that hate the foundation of this country so much, the Judeo-Christian foundation of the nation, that I, I think they'd like to see it leveled and rebuilt the way they want it built. And I don't, I don't know how, as much as I would like to take the counterpoint to what I'm saying, when you think it through, you know, don't tell me you can't steal up the border. And I pastor in Texas, so this is not a derogatory. But you, you get 100 rednecks down there in Ford F-150s, and they seal that, that one pass up in 36 hours, buying razor wire themselves and, and pushing people back across the border. So don't tell me some Texans and a couple of people from South Dakota that drove down can seal up the border in less than two days, and, and our government can't do it. I mean, Trump, and that's what irritates me about the Republican Party, Trump. That was his first order of business. They couldn't find $8 billion to give him to, to give Border Patrol and, and uh, the Department of Homeland Security what they need on the southern border. And now you just see him $200 billion at a shot, a quarter trillion at a shot, shipping it overseas. Again, you know, once you once you understand money laundering, Hunter Biden's paintings for half, half a, a million and Ukraine and the southern border, it starts making sense how people are in office for 300000 a year and retire worth $300, 400000000 million in accounts that we know about. Yeah, we see uh, a Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has uh, at long last announced his retirement. Now, I knew Mitch when he was a, a county judge uh, in Kentucky. He didn't have the proverbial pot to urinate in, shall we say. Uh, yet today, he is a multi-multi-millionaire. I think it was Harry Truman who said, show me a man who gets rich in politics and I'll show you a crook. Uh, very, very, very well put. What do you say, Pastor, to those who say pastors 
should stick to the spiritual uh, and should really not get involved in politics. And I don't mean elective politics. I'm not talking about yeah, telling people who, who to vote for, who not to vote for, but shouldn't get involved in these larger public debates over issues that I think are crucial to the country. I would say two things. Number one, and, you know, I understand everybody might not be able to follow this train of thought, but at its deepest root, these things are spiritual. Anytime you've seen America undergo a revival, a, ch a church revival, when Billy Graham was storming the nation, there were all kind of policies that, that just happened to follow because the Bible changes people's hearts. And the Bible says, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their, I will revive their land or their nation. So God, God has an interest in nations not collapsing. It's, it's the devil. The Bible says about the devil that on judgment day, they'll say, is this the one that weakened the nations? You know, Satan is interested in, in the disorder and anarchy of nations, and God is interested in the order and prosperity of nations. You are not a true minister if all you do is give a 30-minute speech on Sunday and then let your country rot. A, a true minister should have a heart, not just for his church and his congregation, but for his nation, like Billy Graham had. Billy Graham was not on a mission to grow his ministry. Billy, it's not expedient to rent stadiums to speak to people that are unbelievers. You know, that, that's a major financial loss. But he did that for, for 60 years because he, he cared about America, and he wanted to see America and the American people change. The second thing I'd say is I would be happy to stay out of politics if it was 1994. Democrats had the same view as, of marriage that Republicans had. Basically, the political spectrum was not that different. You know, you had, you had Democrats for workers' rights, basically, and Republicans for, for business owner rights. And every, nobody got involved in church stuff. When you start telling me that you're going to take my nonprofit status as a church or shut me down for hate speech or take, take my revenue if I refuse to marry two same-sex individuals as a pastor, you got me involved. What can I talk about that hasn't been politicized? They used to leave people to raise their own families. Now you want to, be, you want to take children out of the home if they're misgendered by their parent. You push first. So don't, I'm not going to sit back and watch America turn into Europe, where there used to be churches everywhere, and everybody, you know, it was a different continent. And then you overrun it with, with uh, your liberal policies and shut the church down and destroy the nation. If, if you want to do that, that's fine, but you can't do, the traffic can't be all one way. You can't attack the Bible and the church and the family and how Americans live their life and then just tell me to be quiet. Have you ever noticed? Any pastor that gets involved in politics, if it's to advance left-wing ideologies, they're never called a Christian nationalist. It's only if you try to advance conservative Bible uh, values that now, hey, stay out of politics. They never tell the liberal ministers to stay out of politics. So I'm not playing along. Yeah, I agree entirely. Uh, look, I, I attend church at the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. It's a great church founded by the great Dr. D. James Kennedy, who when I worked for Ronald Reagan, I had the honor of meeting. Our church was dedicated by the great Billy Graham. Our church has been cited by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group. 
Never once from the pulpit at our church has our pastor ever told people how to vote. Not once. Yes, he talks about the broader cultural issues from a, from a biblical uh, and Christian point of view. So you're right. It is absolutely one-sided. And, and I'm not sure if I should be insulted when they call me a Christian nationalist or not. I mean, let's look at this. I'm a Christian. Yes, I reaffirmed my faith in Christ. I was, I was reborn in the blood of the cross. I'm proud of it. I take uh, some mocking from elitist liberals about it, but I don't care about that. It, it's changed my life in so many ways. And am I a nationalist? Well, if that means that I love my country, yeah, then I guess I'm a Christian nationalist, but they give it this negative connotation that's very, very hard to understand. Folks, if you're just tuning in, uh, we're talking with Pastor J.D. Shuttlesworth, uh, and uh, this is The Roger Stone Show. We will be right back to continue this great discussion. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back. This is the Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC Radio. We're here every Sunday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, where we like to talk politics, news, history, style, culture, food, you name it. So thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, you can always listen to us uh, worldwide where we're streaming in 73 countries at WABCradio.com. We're uh, talking to Pastor J.D. Shuttlesworth, uh, who is uh, joining us uh, on the air now. Uh, delighted to have him with us. And we're talking about the role uh, of uh, of Christians uh, in modern day society, uh, and we were talking uh, about uh, this what's become uh, an appellation that they spit at you. You're a Christian nationalist. Uh, how do you read that, uh, Pastor? I, I agree with your comments about it. I don't understand the insult. I am a Christian, and I, the Bible says, "Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. All that love thee will prosper." But that was written by somebody living in Jerusalem. You can't prosper in a nation that you hate. So I am pro-America. I understand the Bible wasn't written in America, but I, whatever nation I was going to live in, I would want that nation to do better and, and not worse. And if you notice, in 2016, it was white nationalists, but the church, the church is a very strong voting block. It's about 20, 20%. And they can't have full reign over the United States with a, with a church that's involved correctly in politics. So what they're trying to do is weaken it from within and make you feel bad. You know, if, if you vote for Donald Trump, you're not voting for Donald Trump. You're worshiping Donald Trump. You know, it's, it's, always, it's always trying to move you to the left. There's never any, you worship Biden or these Christians that vote for Biden have made him their God. It's just trying to weaken church people enough that they feel bad about getting involved in politics. The other thing, America is a representative government and a, re a republic. Why, why is one group supposed to be completely unrepresented in politics? I, there's no argument for, for the quote-unquote Christian nationalists. I'm a Christian, and like every other group, I, I have a voice in my country, and I don't feel bad about it. When I visited your church last Thursday, uh, you know, obviously I, 
I'm a political analyst, I'm a political animal, uh, but I did say, and I really believe this, that prayer, which has played such an important role in my own life in recent years, that prayer is a crucial, crucial element uh, of the uh, of the essential and necessary victory of constitutional liberties and freedom uh, in this country. Uh, speak to that for a moment, if you would. Well, and any satanic or witchcraft group traces their roots back to Babylon. Babylon was the most wicked uh, nation or state in the history of the world. And so there was one man there named Daniel, when you read the book of Daniel in the Bible. And all of the government leaders and every evil person said, we can't do what, he want, what we want to do unless we can get this one guy to stop praying. That's how he ended up in the lion's den. So the power of prayer is, is unable to be uh, uh, defined. It, it is, Jesus said, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and your command will be obeyed. Talking about prayer. So prayer is not just to mumble under your breath and feel peace. Focused prayer, Jesus said, causes mountains to move. And obviously he was talking in an analogy. You're not trying to move Pikes Peak to New Hampshire. It's immovable things, things that look impossible. Where it's impossible with man, never with God. For with God, all things are possible. And the way you tap into that power is by prayer. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. When you ask, God's a prayer answering God. And so for people to pray, that's what you can, you can almost feel the irritation of the devil that with 60 years of public school indoctrination and, and, and Viacom and movies, he can't get American people to stop believing in God and stop praying. And that's why when you always hear it, one thing that irritates me about conservatives, they always, you know, it's almost like they're already defeated. Did you hear what they're doing? They're going to do this. Nothing's final because the one thing the Bible shows is that the, the enemy can have a huge army of powerful people and have a plan he's ready to execute. And one person, one woman, one man, think of this. If one woman got abortion legalized and one woman got prayer taken out of school, what can one woman or one man do who decides to, to turn in the other direction and begins to use God's power to affect their nation? That's the power of prayer. Uh, I saw this on your show the other night when somebody called in and they were extraordinarily defeatist. It was like, no, it's all over. Uh, you know, we're going to lose the next election. We're going to lose our country. Uh, you were great because you're absolutely right. Jesus Christ can do anything. I've experienced it in my own life. My own wife now, uh, after being diagnosed with aggressive stage four cancer, immediately after my pardon, thanks to the healing power of Jesus Christ, she is now two and a half years cancer free. She's doing great. That could not have happened without prayer. The doctors yep. told us it couldn't happen. They actually said it would not happen. It could not happen, uh, but it has. So I've experienced the power of prayer in my own life. Uh, it, it is, uh, it, it's, a, it's a vital element for a hard-boiled political operative like me to include prayer in my arsenal uh, of weapons just shows you the profound change that I've been through and the, and the new prism uh, through which uh, I see uh, the world. 
People ask me all the time, you did the other day, about Donald Trump and his faith. Uh, he is a man of faith. I've known him 45 years, but kind of like uh, Richard Nixon, uh, he has never been comfortable talking about his faith. He didn't think it belonged in the public arena. He went regularly to Norman Vincent Peale's church there on Fifth Avenue uh, in, uh, in New York City. But just as the great Billy Graham uh, and Dr. Peel both had to urge uh, in the beginning Vice President Nixon to talk more openly about his faith. Trump is beginning to talk more about his faith, which I think is vitally, vitally important. Uh, I thought uh, his his remarks to the uh, Religious Broadcasters Association meeting in Nashville uh, were among his best remarks ever. Now, I seem to be a little surprised there weren't many Catholics there, but that's a different question. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I like uh, I, I like the journey President Trump's been on. For me, I've been I've been trying to get Christians to understand that the, someone's religion should not pay, play a, 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 a much of a role in who you vote for. It's like when you charter an aircraft. I want the best pilot. I don't care if he's, I'm telling you as a preacher, I don't care if he's Buddhist. I don't care if he's an atheist. I, I want him to fly the plane. I don't care how much he prays. In fact, if I hear him praying from the cockpit, it would make me nervous. So I like get the best man for the job and vote policy because Christians can be easily duped. I mean, Joe Biden will make an appearance, I'm sure, a few times at church before the election. So people see him go to church and assume he, he's, he's, a, he's a righteous man. It's not, you can pick apart anybody's personal life, which is what they always go after Trump for. How can any Christian vote for Trump when he did X, Y, and Z? We're not voting for a savior. We're, we're voting for somebody to run the executive branch, and you judge people based on their policies. Has Trump made mistakes? I'm sure. But is he, are his policies trying to promote the mistakes he's made? No, they're not. And, and the other thing that Christians need to understand is Donald Trump is not running against Jesus Christ. So you notice there are, when he ran in 2016, they, they say this stuff about Trump that's negative, but negative compared to who? Because there's only two candidates, essentially. So any criticism you want to levy morally about Trump, you could do it tenfold to Hillary Clinton, and the same with, with Joe Biden. So they make this false dichotomy. How can you as a Christian vote? I'm not voting for a savior. I'm voting for a president. I'm well aware of the mistakes he's made, just like I'm well aware of the mistakes I've made. But I want to know what are his policies. And his policies align with the Bible. I'm comfortable voting with him. And there's things about Joe Biden. I would have serious questions for a Christian that voted for Joe Biden out of the Bible, how they justify policies like open borders. Open borders is facilitating human trafficking. There's 21, you know, those children that come across the border just get shipped off to a house. There's no way to check who's there. And there's 21 missing from a town of 20,000 in Virginia. That's one town. It's, it, you are facilitating, under your false compassion, you're facilitating human trafficking. You know, no, no two ways about it. Those are policy things. So it's not about who's the better Christian, Joe Biden or Donald Trump. What are their policies? Who, who's for order? Who's for securing a border? Who's for economic prosperity? That's the only thing that can truly help bring people out of poverty, not shifting other people's money around. So I wish Christians would start to look more policy than, than personality. 
All right. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Folks can go to RevivalToday.com, RevivalToday.com, to find uh, Pastor J.D. Shuttlesworth. Pastor, I want to thank you again so much for joining us today on The Roger Stone Show. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC.